Cobra. He's a bomb. Hope your uh, evening is going well. Well, you're in, you're in, uh, you're in Arizona, so I hope your beginning of your evening is going well. Fix this camera. Um, so this is, uh, for anybody new, this is Campfire Chronicles. This is my podcast I do every Thursday. I'm trying to incorporate the Sundays back into it. Um, but basically it's just um, a podcast to talk about topics that I feel are, are important that kind of get overlooked and also just to kind of bring us all together uh, given the fact that we're still in the middle of a pandemic trying to make life back, get back to normal. So th- my main goal with this is all to kind of just come together like we're at a metaphorical campfire. So um, Hey Ducky, what's up? You're, you're gonna enjoy t- this one today because I um, I actually am gonna read from a story that is free right now, free 99, the best price because you don't pay any money on Kindle. Uh, it's called Disenchanted. It's one of my favorite books that I wrote. Um, I had a fun time rewriting a story that I wrote in years past and I was thinking maybe I could read a like a chapter or two uh, during the podcast uh, you know that's at the end of course but I was thinking I could read a chapter or two and then like continue it next Thursday and this way you know for people who don't necessarily listen to each episode in order they can at least um, hear some good stories while they're while they're staying tuned so um, I guess I'll just kind of get into what I've been um, noticing lately, I, I posted a video on, on TikTok, um, and this is kind of the, the main focus of today's episode. Um, I posted a video on TikTok because I saw somebody, um, make a video just saying like to forgive your parents for, um, not being able to love you the way they, the way that you needed. And it kind of made me feel weird uh, i think it's a very generalized blanket statement a um, little bit gaslighty for me uh, and the reason why is because you know when i was growing up i had um i didn't have the the greatest childhood i didn't have support where i needed it and it seems very spiteful to say some um to, to talk about you know my childhood in a negative way um I do think that I've grown quite a bit from it and while I understand the sentiment that that video was talking about I think that the biggest the biggest issue I have with it is that it sounds like saying forgiving and forgetting Um, there was a manager I had when I worked at Sprint that said you can forgive somebody but you don't have to ever forget what they did and I think that forgiveness is different per person you know, I, I think that forgiveness means that you yourself are choosing to move on from a situation or from a person that is toxic. Um, you know, growing up, mental health was not something that was really talked about in my family. I had um, pretty bad mood swings, as my sisters love to tell me. Um, but it was more than that. You know, I, um, I remember when I was 14 years old, and I was experiencing my first few bouts of depression and I didn't know what was happening. Um, you know, 14 was a very confusing age for me. 
which I'm sure a lot of people can agree with. Um, I was in eighth grade and I didn't know how to deal with this feeling of just utter hopelessness. Um, and it didn't make sense. Like, you know, I had my whole life ahead of me, right? And people would tell me there's people who have it way worse than you. Um, but I think a lot of it came to a head because I realized that I didn't have my mother. Uh, my mom passed away when I was three, so I didn't have her to be there and experience things that I wanted her to be there for, and I didn't know how to cope with that. Um, my grandmother pretty much raised me and my older sisters, um, and you know, the generational differences. My grandmother was born in the 30s, and I was born in the 90s, so just having that much of a generational gap, it's it's not easy to, to talk to people about things like, you know, like depression, like hopelessness. Um, and, you know, when whenever I think about my childhood, like I said, my grandmother pretty much raised me and my sisters, but I did not have and still don't really have a relationship with my father because of the way he was when he was around and I think that when we talk about forgiveness it doesn't mean the same thing for everybody my version of forgiveness is that I tend to how do I word this I tend to move on and I either move on with that person still in my life or I move on without them um for my father you know he recently has started dating uh, somebody from Colombia and he's kind of put this wall between, you know, his, his first wife and his life then and this new person, this new woman that uh, apparently he's like super in love with, which like, I get it. You know, my mom died 27 years, 20, 27 years ago, 28 years this year, and he hasn't been with anybody for that pretty much that whole time and I get it you know I I want him to be happy and find somebody that will hopefully um you know call him out on his bullshit which I don't think this woman is doing I wouldn't know because this particular woman has blocked me and my oldest sister um because we called it for how we saw it um but I will say that um he's really kind of cut us out of his life and he has grandkids from all three of his kids and uh, my middle sister lives in New York still and I don't hold anything against her because you know obviously she's the closest and she's the one who gets to um gets to be there actively with him and I I'm not close I live in Texas my oldest sister lives in Oklahoma like it's not convenient for us to take our children over to you know granddad's house um but there's a reason why I left New York and part of that reason is I didn't feel that I could survive there not financially not you know I had job offers I had networking opportunities I mentally couldn't survive there um, you know, when I was growing up, like I mentioned, I started suffering with depression when I was 14 and I self-harmed. I, 
I wouldn't say I was suicidal, but I definitely had like very dark suicidal thoughts and I can't explain it. You know, I didn't want to die. I didn't want to end my life, but I just felt these, this darkness that was like almost like attractive to like have around. Um, and I didn't know that my father knew about this. Um, he knew that I was self-harming. He knew that I was, you know, depressed and he took it as attention seeking. And years later, years down the road, I, um, went back to New York for Christmas time with my two kids then and my husband. And I took my, my youngest at the time to the mall with my dad and, we ran into somebody that I had played volleyball with her daughter in high school and she was telling me, oh my God, you haven't aged. And I was like, oh, that's so kind of you. <laughs> the bags under my eyes say different. <laughs> and, you know, we were just chit-chatting and out of nowhere, my father goes, well, she's definitely changed since high school because remember when you used to cut yourself and started laughing. Started laughing. And I didn't really know what to say. I looked at the woman that, you know, I had known for years and I was like, you have a great rest of your day. Happy New Year. And I walked off and I like, you know, my dad thinks that it was a phase that was like awkward, but it wasn't an awkward phase. That was the beginning of my mental health issues. That was the beginning of my depression. That was, that was the beginning of my anxiety and what causes my anxiety. And ultimately, it set me up for failure as an adult because I didn't have the support I needed when I was first going through all that. Um, and in order for me to get healthy, in order for me to be better, I want my father to be held accountable for the way he acted and the way he, he tried to be involved in my life. He thought that if it looked great, it was great. You know, I was getting good grades, so I must be fine. I was healthy, so I must be fine. I was playing sports, so I must be fine. But underneath it all, I wasn't. And, you know, I talk a lot about my mental health because I know there are people out there that were born in my generation that have these same issues that were told, like, don't go talk to a therapist. Just tough it out. Be stronger. And that is not the way. That, that is not it. And I want to make sure that this podcast reaches the people who are feeling that way because I know how, how much of a struggle it can be to be, you know, hurting and not have the support that you need. Um, so with forgiveness, I think it's okay to say that you don't need to be you know, oh, I'm so sorry and have that person involved in your life. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to have a relationship with the person that you're forgiving. And moving on for me is cutting people out or at least limiting their interactions with me. And I think that's healthy for everybody to do. So if you have a person in your life that, you know, you want to make amends with and you want to, you, you want to forgive them, by all means, go for it. But just know that your version of forgiving doesn't have to be the stereotypical, you know, forgiving and involving them in your daily life. It doesn't have to be that way. You take care of you.
and you take care of your mental health because that's at the end of the day what's going to get you through what's going to get you through the, the hardest parts in your life um but i just wanted to kind of voice that because i know there was some confusion on my tiktok video where people were like i don't know what you're going i don't know what you've been through but you know um if you stay angry it's going to eat you alive i'm not angry for one just because i didn't forgive necessarily forgive in the traditional sense my father for the way he treated me and the way he treated my oldest sister and my middle sister growing up does not mean that i'm angry there's a very fine line that you can walk between forgiveness and not forgiving and being angry but i have finally realized that the accountability i'm looking for is something that's gonna have to come from my father and he's going to want to have to revisit the times that he wasn't there for us. And right now, that's not going to happen. And, you know, he may die before we even get to that conversation. And that's something that I've already moved on from. I've already forgiven him. Um, and there's other people in my life, you know, if for whatever reason or somehow they're listening and I haven't spoken to them in years, you know, I've moved on for reasons that if I, you know, if I held on to anger, yeah, I'd be a miserable person to be around, but I'm not holding on to anger anymore. I'm not holding on to disappointment. I'm just moving on and taking care of my own family and my own mental health needs. Because if I don't, yeah, of course you would be falling apart. Um, so this, this particular podcast, as, long, as far as the first half anyway, is just make sure you take care of yourself. You know, if you feel that the traditional sense of forgiveness for you and involving that, you know, person in your life that you have to forgive is important to you, go for it. But just know everybody's version of forgiveness is different. And you can't expect somebody to forgive them in the sense that you believe forgiveness should be given. And I've had that issue with my mother-in-law and my, my sister-in-law. I, I don't involve them in my life. My husband and I have talked about it. And there are reasons why we do things the way we do things. Um, so just take care of yourself. You know, if you are struggling with depression, if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, get help. I know it's hard. I know it's, it's, it's such a struggle to find somebody to talk to that you know you feel maybe that you haven't been listened to I want you to know that if you do need somebody to talk to I am complete my door is wide open I mean I do not judge people who have depression I do not judge people who are suicidal who have attempted suicide just know that you can message me or call me at any time of the day and I will listen and I will be there and I will support you in however manner I can until my means are exhausted and I don't have anything else that can help you. Um, I think that's important. We all got to look out for each other. So I know that was pretty heavy. Um, I just wanted to clarify things because like I said, you know, people were getting it twisted on, on TikTok and I didn't want, I didn't want people to think that, um, I like spite my my father for everything he's done it's unfortunately all the bad things that he's done has made me the person who I am today and 
my mother passing away has made me the person I am and I am today. And I don't have any regrets. I don't have any hatred. I just go with the flow. So, um, now speaking of mental health and all of that, you know, one of the things that I wanted to kind of tie into the story time tonight is, um, that, that feeling of loneliness was really an important factor in Lily's story in Disenchanted. Um, she's kind of forced into her loneliness, which is, um, sorry, by the way, you know, sorry, but she's forced into this lonely lifestyle because of who she is. And I really love when I wrote Disenchanted, I didn't write it, um, you know, I didn't write it to mean anything in particular as far as, um, you know, like metaphors or anything. I just wrote it solely on the fact that, you know, we think about society today and we think about how you are supposed to tough things out that, and, and you're supposed to be doing things for yourself, but it, it's the story itself is really just a, a bigger look at mental health and how reaching out to find somebody or have that, that strong bond with somebody who can help you through it is so, so important to healing. Um, and it talks about anger and, um, you know, that's, I, I really love Lily's character because she is super rounded with that. And, um, she was, her story was really awesome to write. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm going to read you a few, um, a few excerpts from that. So let me pull up, hold on, let me pull up Disenchanted for you. Uh, I'm having a moment. Hold on. <laughs> I don't think I have the Kindle app on here, so I'm going to, I'm going to pull, I'm, I'm going to read you, um, the first chapter for Samuel and then the first chapter for Lily, it, it alternates. I think I talked a little bit about this on a past podcast, but it alternates between, um, present tense telling Lily's story who is in the present of the book. And then it alternates to, um, to the past. So I wrote it experimentally for a reason because I wanted you to feel like you were reading almost like a newspaper article when you were reading Samuel's story. And then flipping to Lily's side was like, it's actively happening. So I wrote it in the present tense. That was just a little bit of a experiment I did. Some people liked it. Some people hated it. Um, I loved it personally. And my editor loved it. So uh, let me take, let me find it first of all. I'm going to read it from my, my iPad. Oops, I can type, I promise. Here we go. All right. So um, the... <laughs> The funny part was I actually dedicated Dis Disenchanted to my high school guidance counselor who told me that I would... Oh, thanks, King Matt, for, for hosting. I appreciate you. Appreciate you greatly. And I also got a new follower. Hey, what's up? How you doing, King Matt? I am doing well. I've been um, busy, busy, busy. I had to clean my kitchen and my living room today because um, I had somebody coming over. And that was not fun. <laughs> I don't like cleaning. Um, but uh, how are you doing? I hope you're doing good and staying healthy out there. Um, you're just in time for the story part of Campfire Chronicles where I read you a few 
um, a few snippets from a book. Uh, this particular book is um, available for free on Amazon right now. And I'm going to ask a huge favor of everybody who's watching today, even if you don't read, all right, even if you don't read and you hate books and you hate English, download this book. And the reason why is because I think that I can change your opinion on reading. I really do. This book is made that you don't have to sit down and read it in one session. You can read it and then pick it back up from a different, you know, different day, different month, and it'll just continue to flow. And I'm begging you to download it because I really want to hear what you guys think. And another little snippet is that anybody, anytime you read an indie author's book like myself, leave a review, uh, especially on Amazon, because the more reviews you get and the more downloads you get, the higher up your book is going to show up on lists, which will only help feed my kids, feed my family and help me out uh, with my with my writing career. And uh, I am working on another piece, too. Um, like I mentioned, I'm going to drop my link for my discord because I know um, some of you may not be in it, but I am looking for beta readers for my um, for my short story, which is going to be coming out, I believe in November should all go well. Um, but I'm going to drop that link for you so that this way you guys can stay up to date. And if you're interested in being a beta reader, what that means is that you'll actually get a free copy, um, an, an advanced reader copy of the, my story. And, um, all I ask for you from you is just to leave, um, leave a review on Amazon. That's it. Um, and, I am going to try and throw in a couple competitions with the anthology because, you know, there are some other great authors that I'm being fe featured with. I'm um, thinking about doing like a signed copy and, and getting getting that out there for you guys. Um, sorry, I'm rambling, but um, Disenchanted. So Disenchanted, like I mentioned, is free right now. You can download it to your phone, iPad. But I actually uh, dedicated this book to, <laughs> to my guidance counselor because I remember when I was in high school, my guidance counselor was, um, she was a doozy. Uh, she sat me down my senior year and she told me, you know what, Kelsey, um, I know you want to be, a, you want to major in creative writing, but that is not something that you can build a career on. Uh, you need something that's going to put bread on the table. And I remember feeling so disheartened. You know, you're telling a 17 year old girl that her desire to be a writer is not good enough for her standards of what putting bread on the table is. And I told her, you know, I could put bread on the table with my writing. I know I can. I have, you know, friends who have read my work already and they love it. And she was like, they're just your friends though. So, um, that has stuck in my head since that day, my senior year of high school. And, um, I dedicated this book, I said, to my high school guidance counselor, thank you for telling me not to major in creative writing because it wasn't a real career. And I hope Miss Greenberg sees that. I think that was her name, Miss Greenberg or Miss Greenberg. Uh, because that, like, how could you tell a kid that when they're 17 years old, just figuring out what they want to be in life? Um, hey, Teresa, what's up? Oh, King Matt, I'm sorry that you're sleepy. I'm assuming you meant sleepy. But... I promise I will wake you up with this story. I promise. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to present to you the first few chapters of Disenchanted. Here we go. The present, 
July 2004. New York, New York, the city that never sleeps. It was the doors to opportunity during the mass flooding of Ellis Island. Now, it's nothing but a black smear across Lily's memory. Lily, her father Bradley calls out. Her, he grips her shoulder and squeezes. She finds his snow-gray eyes searching her again. It makes her skin crawl. Don't look at me like that. Every time we end up at therapy, you're looking at me like that. I'm sorry, sweetheart. He responds. I know you don't like this part. She looks up at the lone beige and brown building. It makes her sick to her stomach. Therapy wasn't a choice for her. It was more of a for the greater good decision. It hasn't changed anything with me, she responds to her father. Why do I still have to go? Bradley grips her shoulder tighter and forces a smile. You'll thank me later. Trust me. All right, this is a new technique that we're going to work on here, her psychiatrist's voice echoes. I want you to take me back to the day your mother died. The beams supporting the room sound off tiny cracks and snaps. Her psychiatrist wraps a sweaty hand around the arm cushion of his chair. He clears his throat and wipes his sleeve on his forehead. Lily lies back on a stiff brown chase opposite her psychiatrist. She can't stand him. His nasally voice, his constant smell of coffee and fear, his nagging want to try and help. Think of your trip to the bus stop that day. What did you feel walking there? How did you feel after you last saw your mother? She can feel it, a stab of heat growing outward in her chest. She takes in a sharp inhale. A crack in the wall spiders out from the corner of the room and down to the floor. What are you feeling right now? Anchor. Oh God, she lets escape her lips. At that moment, her psychiatrist's chair flies across the room. He lets out a whimper when his head cracks against the bookcase closest to the exit. Three armed guards burst through the door. The crack in the wall explodes, filling the air with drywall and debris. Sedate her! Someone get her father! We need assistance! A scream rips through her and she slams her fist onto the ground, splitting the floorboards and the concrete beneath it. No! Her father's voice yells from somewhere beyond her eyelids. Don't! No! A small sting pinches at Lily's neck. She reaches for it and pulls. The small red feathers fail her vision. She follows the silver tube down to the needle. The room warps. She pushes herself from the chase and crashes into the psychiatrist's desk. Pencils and papers slide to the floor with her. She turns her eyes to the doorway and meets her father's gaze. The veins in his neck bulge with each scream towards her. She vaguely makes out the words, don't hurt my baby, but the drugs take over and she sinks into them until the anger subsides and there's nothing. Your daughter is a risk to us all. The lady doctor whispers. I recommend institutionalizing her. We have the equipment to keep her contained at, over at Blue Canyon Memorial. Let me get this straight. You want me to lock my daughter in a lead box indefinitely so that you can poke and prod at her to find what makes her tick? Bradley growls. I think we both know what makes her tick, Mr. Jones. Bradley tightens his hands around the steering wheel. He looks over at his daughter's unconscious body. He can't stop himself from thinking how normal she looks now like she was before his wife died. We can't leave someone like her out on the streets, the doctor chimes in. We both know the consequences of that. Bradley breathes in deep, filling his lungs with the summer air. The doctor's offer sent a chill down his spine. He wanted nothing more than to accept the doctor's proposal. It would end the constant worrying, the number of incidents. The truth is, Bradley was tired of running. He was tired of gathering his son and Lily and having to move every time an outburst caused the scene. After four years, no doctor has been able to diagnose or fix his daughter. This was the first outburst in California. 
He hoped the extremity of bringing his daughter back to the day her mother died would help her learn how to control her anger. She is heavily sedated, the doctor comments. He took the father's silence as a no to admitting her. She will wake, I'm sure, confused in about an hour or so. Bradley nods his head and shifts into first. The doctor grips his shoulder. Mr. Jones, you really should consider the greater good here. What happens if one day she gets angry at you? That won't happen, he responds. I'm her father. What about Brian? The doctor adds. Bradley twitches at the thought. What if he ends up like Dr. Stevenson? Bradley's eyes fill with water. He rolls up the window, nearly clipping the doctor's fingers in the glass and speeds away from the psychiatrist's office, peeling out at the stop sign. Lily would never do that. Never. Lily? Bradley says. Lily, wake up. She forces her eyes open to the blazing sunlight. Gravity forces her hands to stay pressed against the starch-filled sheets. Lily looks at her father. She traces the pinched muscles in his forehead down to his eyes. Someone got hurt again. No, don't lie. Bradley lets out a long puff of air. He can't fake it like he used to anymore. He pushes Lily's bangs from her forehead and lays his lips against her skin. Lily closes her eyes again. She enjoys the view from behind her eyelids better than the half-lie smile across her father's face. Bradley pushes himself from the bed and shuffles his feet across the carpet. Dad? she says before he passes through the doorframe. He turns and leads on the handle. Lily winces at his slouched frame. He used to not look so old. He does his best to hide the fatigue in his eyes and the grays in his hairs. He used to have time for Noah. What was his name this time? Brian or whatever? They would practice soccer together a couple blocks down the road in Manhattan. Noah was amazing. He was a fast learner and strong. Bradley was athletic. He met his wife at a half marathon in Pennsylvania back when they both were at Penn State together. But once Noah was old enough to run, they were inseparable, while Lily and her mother went on their own way. This problem of hers makes everyone tired. Doctors have run every test possible. Super strength, telekinetic powers, those are things you hear about in comic books. Lily glances down at her hand. It's wrapped in a neat pattern of white gauze. Breakfast is on the table downstairs, Bradley says from the doorway. Come down when you're ready. Lily stares at the wooden panels of her door and decides to close her eyes instead. Noah, Bradley calls from the bottom of the stairs. He makes his way back to the kitchen to grab the rest of his coffee. He slides the knot of his tie upwards until it grazes his neck. The coffee is horrible. He never could get it quite the way his wife did. His was some version of thick black tar that tasted just the same. The cooking part he had down like a science, though. Pancakes? On a school day? Noah says from the end of the hallway. Lily must have had an episode yesterday. Noah! Noah throws his hands up in defeat and sits in front of the plate with a higher stack of pancakes. So, uh, how is school going? Bradley asks, sipping from his mug. Fine. Noah shovels pancakes into his mouth. Anything about the soccer team? Did you make it? I gave up, soccer dad. He responds, taking a gulp of orange juice. Bradley nods his head and looks back, looks into the black mirror of his coffee. He made a note on his mental checklist. Things to remember about Noah. I've got to go, he says, stuffing one last pancake into his mouth. Thanks for breakfast. Wait, I'll drive you. No, he says, throwing on his jacket and slinging his backpack over his shoulder. The door slams, leaving a deadened echo in the kitchen. Bradley pinches the bridge of his nose, attempting to smother a migraine. He dumps the remainder of his coffee down the drain and throws his suit jacket over his shoulders. His wife would have known exactly what to say to their son during this moment. 
He grabs the keys to the Mini Cooper and walks out the front door, kicking himself for even bringing her up. The sun boils the pavement under Lily's feet as she runs along the main street in town. She knows it's risky being this close to civilization, but it's the only way she can prevent herself from losing her mind in her father's house. On days like today, she counts her steps to take her mind off of the heat. Once she hits a thousand, she starts back at zero. The running cuts down on the amount of episodes she has at her psychiatrist's office, too. After yesterday, she owes it to everyone to run extra long. She takes a hard right to run through the center of town. There's a fountain that she likes to toss a penny in. The wish hasn't changed for the past four years, but she makes a point to say it at least once a day, whether it be on a star or just begging for it out loud. The fountain is drained because of construction, but Lily slows to a stop in front of the concrete base regardless. She pulls a penny from inside her shoe and spins so that her back is facing the fountain. Just make this problem stop, please. She throws the penny over her shoulder and waits to hear the clink of it bouncing along the bottom of the fountain. Lily? She opened her eyes to find Noah standing in front of her. Hey, what are you doing out here? I could ask you the same question, she says, pointing to his book bag. Shouldn't you be in school? Noah shrugs his shoulders. Shouldn't you be at therapy? Lily shrugs her shoulders as well. A flood of people come around the corner towards the fountain. We should go, she says, nodding her head towards them. I was going to go to the park. You should really be at therapy, Lily. Please don't remind me, she says, kicking tiny pieces of concrete on the ground. I heard it was a pretty bad episode. I know, she says, pulling the hood from her sweatshirt over her face. Please stop reminding me. Sorry. They both make their way to the town park in silence. The sun warms Lily's face, making her sweat in her jogging clothes. She looks over at Noah and can't help the jealous feeling that grows outward from her chest. His blonde, curly hair glints in the sun, and his face glows brighter the longer it stays in the light. He'll never have to pretend he doesn't exist. Lily squeezes her fist, and a tree branch snaps to their left and crashes to the ground. Whoa, Noah says, backing away from her. Sorry, she says. Sorry. He raises his hand in, hands in defense. Don't apologize. It's not your fault. She smiles, and for some strange reason, that small phrase makes her feel much better. They reach the weathered bench where Noah usually draws for hours until there isn't enough sunlight to see. He flings his book bag onto the seat and lets out a sigh. I know you're upset, Noah, Lily says. I'm sorry for everything. I'm not upset at you. I just... whatever. Lily nods her head and looks down at her fingernails. I'm sorry we might have to leave again. Yeah, he says, running his fingers through his hair. He lets out a sigh and looks across the field. A family stands by a pond and throws feed to the ducks. The little boy's high-pitched laughter fills the open space. We used to be like that. Lily looks over at the family and nods her head. Yeah. Mom died and it's just... It's like Dad just lost it. It was because of what I did. Will you stop? He says, gripping her shoulder. Dad was always paranoid. But back then he was happy. When Mom was alive, he would take us to do things like that. Laughing back then was more fun than anything I could think of. Lily breathes in and nods her head. She can't deny what he's saying, even if it stings. I know a huge part of it was me, though, she says. If I hadn't... And how are you supposed to know that your anger was a weapon? She shrugs her shoulders. Exactly, so stop blaming yourself. Lily nods her head and looks back at Noah. I'm still sorry. I miss New York. I miss our Central Park runs after school. I miss watching you at your soccer games with mom and dad. I miss our friends. Noah clenches his jaw and glances out of the corner of his eye at her. He can see the hurt on her face. No matter what he says, he'll never be able to convince her that he's not mad at her. He was never mad, though. Fear took his anger's place when it came to Lily. 
So instead of trying to correct her, he says, yeah, me too. Lily tries to smile, but her face feels like drying cement. I'm going to go back to running, she says. Noah nods his head and opens up his book bag. He pulls out his sketchbook and flips to a page with a beautiful landscape of the park. Each blade of grass has such detail that Lily can feel it running through her fingers just by looking at it. He drags his hand up to the top of the page where the beginnings of the family that laughs at the lake today are. She looks at Noah, but he's already lost in his world. The pencil moves in precise strokes as he works on the little boy and their family. She bites her lip and sprints in the opposite direction. Her muscles scream at her in protest, but the hurt in her chest from screwing everything up tells her to keep going. The Past December 1918 After the Great War, things were supposed to get better. The fighting was over and soldiers could finally come home to their families. But that was only true for some. Samuel? She wheezed. Yes, he responded. Her skin shined with a glossy texture in the lamplight. She folded a flaming grip on Samuel's hand. The 1918 Spanish influenza ripped through Boston and killed so many people that relationships and last moments together meant everything. Samuel knew he and Margaret didn't have much more time together. There we go. Remember when we first met and you brought those daylilies? She whispered. He nodded his head and tried to remember her healthy and alive like she was then. But the heat from her hand made the memories fuzzy. I'd love to see them again, she said, smiling at the memories. I'll get you anything, he responded, gripping her hand tighter. She smiled and relaxed into a feverish sleep. Samuel grabbed his peacoat and walked into town. Boston was quiet at night. Most cities came alive, had a heartbeat. But ever since the war and sickness, the streets were like a catacomb. There was one store that remained open at night in Boston. It was a bit of a walk, but with Margaret so sick, he had to get her something. Anything that could ease the pain. The alleyway leading to the pharmacy had no light. The darkness flooded Samuel's eyes, but he knew this wall. He didn't need the light to know where he was headed. Money, a voice from the darkness said. All of it. Samuel turned hard with an elbow in the direction of the voice. A yell ripped through the alleyway. He jumped towards the sound and pinned the voice's owner to the ground. The fire-hot pain of a knife slid across Samuel's throat. He released the person beneath him and clawed at the gorge of blood that spewed from an elbow in the direction of the voice. A yell ripped through the alleyway. He jumped towards the sound and pinned the voice's owner to the ground. The fire-hot pain of a knife slid across Samuel's throat. He released the person beneath him and clawed at the gorge of blood that spewed from his neck. He tried to call for help, but the only sound that escaped his lips was that of a bubbling choke. The man dug through Samuel's jacket and snatched his wallet. He turned to run from the alley, but slammed to his knees, skinning his palms in the cobblestone alley. He turned, and in the dim light of the street lamps, he saw the whites of Samuel's eyes. Like two giant spotlights, his fatal glare haunted him as he shook free from Samuel's final attempt at stopping him. The light that filled Samuel's eyes edged closer to darkness, and then there was nothing. Samuel believed in heaven. He believed that every person would get the chance to atone for their sins and get a direct route to the pearly gates. But falling into nothing, nothing but darkness and emptiness, jolted him. When his eyes opened, the smell of copper filled his nostrils. Blood. He could never forget that smell after fighting in the trenches. He reached for his throat. The cut was thin but deep. The blood around the wound was like jelly. He was here for a while. The puddle of blood stained his white undershirt through his peacoat. He shouldn't be alive. He knew that. He knew that man cut into his artery. 
He felt the blade burn through his skin like white-hot fire. The blood was like lava when it forced its way down through his fingers around his throat. Margaret. Samuel took off back towards their house. The streets were silent. The sunrise melted into this night sky, leaving behind a trail of pinks and oranges. His body hurt. He stumbled over his feet like his brain had ceased all communication to his legs. He grabbed at his neck. The gelled blood stuck to his palm. The lamplight was still glowing in the window. He swung the door open to their home and fell to his knees at Margaret's bedside. Margaret, he called out. Her hands were burning hot. Her fever was high before, but the temperature seemed impossible. She rubbed her hands and ran his fingers against her, her cheekbone. Please don't do this to me. Please. Let go. Her breathing became gasp for air. Her eyes went blank like slate. Her last breath was silent. Her arm was lead in Samuel's hands. People imagine heaven as their own slice of paradise. They believe they will be reunited with loved ones. They believe they will be reunited with loved ones long lost. A place where God himself will welcome you with open arms and show you the Garden of Eden. But death has a cruel sense of humor. So the young people who want nothing more than to live a long and healthy life are the ones who end up on the other side. Why am I still here? Samuel asked. The one thing that he loved was gone. The one thing that connected him to this world shattered with her death and his. He held his wife in his arms, no longer hearing anything. He wasn't any supernatural being. He wasn't a savior to the poor and sick. He was a veteran who was murdered in a Boston alleyway. He was death and a man's body. Alright, so that was the first two sections of Lily and Samuel's story from Disenchanted. Um, I'm going to put a little bookmark here because I'm going to just pick up next week on Thursday, right where we left off. Um, and I will upload this episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever um, platform that you typically use. By all means, it'll be there available for you. Um, so that was, you know, the beginning of Disenchanted. I hope it was entertaining, to say the least. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite stories. Um, so if you're interested, if you want to read ahead, uh, it is available for free on Amazon right now. Free 99 no money. Um, and let me know what you think. Uh, there is a review section there, and it would mean the world to me if you could write up something. Um, if you're interested in being... A beta reader, though, for uh, my new short story called The Music, that is something that you'll have to head on to my Discord, Discord for. I can't talk English today. Um, so I'll post that link one more time for you if, you, if you're just joining us here. Um, but without um, holding you guys up anymore, I know this was a quick, um, a quick podcast. I typically do this every Thursday. It's Tale Thursday, so it's um, fiction stories. Sometimes I read my own work, but I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm liking this whole, I'm going to read a chapter, and then next week I'm going to pick up right where we left off. Um, so I think I'm going to keep doing that for you guys, and this way we can kind of like uh, make it like Are You Afraid of the Dark style, where it's just picking up from uh, past stories that I've read. Um, so next week we'll read two more chapters, one from Lily, one from Samuel. Um, and then we can just keep going through the month. Now that, that promotion for Disenchanted, it's going from today all the way to Monday the 14th. So you only got a limited time uh, to download it and start reading. If you don't want to read, <laughs> awesome, Ducky. Yeah, definitely go download it. Um, it's one of my favorite books that I've ever written. And I've written a few, so uh, that's saying something. Um, and 
it would mean the world to me if you, you know you could let me know how you like it, how you hated it. I have thick skin, so you know if you absolutely hate it and you don't love it, then by all means leave a review. I I can take it. Um, but that was today's episode of Campfire Chronicles. So we'll be back. Um, I'm thinking about doing a TikTok stream on Sundays just to do like more of like a poetry and true story thing. Uh, probably not a, 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 a Twitch stream, but um, you know, you can always hit me up and message me if you want to hear something specific, if you find a story that you really want to hear read, that you love, uh, by all means reach out. And um, there's, um, I have an email for Campfire Chronicles, it's campfirechronicles at icloud.com. You can email any suggestions any stories you find, any books you find. I'm all about hyping up indie authors, of course, because that's, that's myself. I'm, I'm in the indie industry, so I get how hard it can be. Um, oh, awesome, King Matt. I'm glad that you liked it. Uh, uh, you know, if this is your first episode of Campfire Chronicles, welcome. Um, I do this, like I said, every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Time. Um, so please, like, by all means, come visit, come hang out. And uh, I really want this to just kind of be an open discussion too, you know, as far as talking about like the mental health part or any of the, um, sometimes I do like most recent events, um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Like last week I talked about um, uh, the unfortunate findings of the native children who were buried in Canada. Um, so I do try to stay up to date and talk about um, topics that are, you know, happening right now. Uh, but. On behalf of Cure Habitat, the awesome, awesome um, Twitch account that actually helped me bring this to fruition, um, go ahead and give them a follow, follow as well. Uh, I'll, I'll spell that out for you so that you can go stalk them because they're they're awesome. They play um, they play music on their channel, and um, I know that my my best friend, she's the one who's in charge of that of that Twitch account. She's obviously busy as most of us are, so it's been a little bit of a lull right now, but by all means, go check Cure Habitat out. They, they're they the reason why this podcast uh, lives and breathes, um, but on behalf of Cure Habitat, my name is Kelsey Garmandia. I will see you next week. Tomorrow, I am streaming for Karaoke Friday starting at 7 p.m., so come hang out with me. Um, and I'm going to try and, and get like a sign up list and figure out how to do like an actual karaoke list so that we can all participate because I want to have some fun. So, um, come hang out with me tomorrow, 7 p.m. Central Time, same time. Um, but thanks for stopping by the campfire.